You are listening to the Magic Drop Podcast. I'm your host, Isabel Cornish, actor, author, and creator. Join me on this journey of growth, joy, and love. I'm here to bring you dope content to expand your mindset and uplift your energy. Why? Because it's your epic life. Today on the show, I have Anita Johnston. Anita Johnston is an international speaker, author, clinical psychologist, and certified eating disorder specialist and supervisor. She has been working in the field of eating disorders for over 35 years and is currently the clinical director of Iapono Hawaii, which has outpatient eating disorder programs in Honolulu, the Big Island of Hawaii, and a residential treatment program in Maui. I'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the lands we meet on today. I'd like to pay my respects to my elders past and present. Also, a quick shout out to ACAST for hosting this potty. Today, we'll be diving into the symbolic nature of eating disorders, and I'm really excited for you guys to take a listen to this episode. Anita, thanks so much for joining me on the show. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. Nice to be here. I've been a fan of your work and book, Eating in the Light of the Moon, for many years, and there was one video you created that really got my attention, and that is the log analogy. <laughs> and I was hoping you can start by sharing this log analogy with listeners. Oh, sure. I'd be happy to. So with this, with this analogy, um, I ask people to use their superpower, which is their imagination, right? Because a lot of people say, oh, well, I don't have a, a good imagination. And I like to say, what do you think worry is, right? A bad use of a good imagination. So we begin by using your imagination. So imagine you're on the banks of a raging river, It's pouring down rain. You slip, you fall in, and you're drowning. You're getting pulled down through the rapids. And along comes a big log, and you grab on, and the log saves your life. It keeps your head above water when surely you would have drowned. And eventually, it carries you to a place in the river where the water is calm. And from there, you can see the riverbanks, but you can't get there because you're holding on so tight to to the log. And so the irony is the very thing that saved your life is now getting in the way of you going where you want to go in life. Now, um, some people will say, well, there's something wrong with me because there's people on the riverbank yelling, let go of the log, let go of the log. And you feel like an absolute idiot because you can't let go of the log. Well, the way I see it is letting go of the log may not be the very best thing to do initially. Because what happens if you let go of the log and, and, and start to swim to shore and get halfway there and realize, oh, shoot, I don't have the strength to make it? Well, hmm, that means you don't have the strength to make it back to the log either, and you're really sunk. So the way I see it is we all have a wise part of ourselves that will not, will not let us let go of anything until we're good and ready. So what do you do instead? Well, let go of the log and try floating. And when you start to sink, grab back on. Then you let go of the log and maybe try treading water. And when you get tired, grab back on. And then you let go of the log and you swim around it once and grab back on. Twice, grab back on. Ten times, a hundred times, two hundred times. Whatever it takes for you to have the strength and confidence to make it to shore. Then you let go of the log. Why? Because it doesn't have a function any longer. 
Beautiful. I love that analogy mm-hmm. so, so much. And it brought a lot mm-hmm. of healing and understanding to, you know, my eating disorder and the journey mm-hmm. that I kind of went through. And it also makes mm-hmm. those moments when, you know, you, you have to grab back onto the log. Well, the symbolism of that, it makes those moments in your life when you do that, you're okay. You feel okay. You don't beat yourself up about it. It's an understanding that this is the path and this is the journey to growing and evolving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a, there's a lot embedded in this metaphor. Of course, I'm talking about eating disorders, but I'm not. I don't even mention it at all, right? It's like because if you can understand that there's meaning, that there's a good reason for the eating disorder. It it kept you afloat when surely you would have drowned in some very strong emotional turbulence, right? And so you begin with that idea that there's a reason and maybe even a good reason for the behaviors and the thoughts. And then you, but then you keep going and you realize that, okay, um, what's required is a skill set. You got to learn to swim, right? And, and, you know, we all have to take our time learning to swim. Nobody just, it's a skill. It's like, you don't just jump in the water and start swimming, right? Nobody does that. Or and the same with driving a car or riding a bike, um, or or playing the piano or learning a language. You know, we kind of have to stumble along a little bit, and that's not only okay; it's to be expected. Yeah, magic. And I guess that is uh, simply touching on the language of eating disorders. And you talk about the language of eating disorders being symbolic in nature. And in your experience working with food relationships, can you further um, dive into your understanding of disordered eating? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that because it's symbolic and it's hard for us a lot because we live in such a literal world these days that it's hard for us to understand uh, the power uh, of symbolism and, and the depth of it. But basically the idea is this, that whatever it is you're doing with food has meaning that, and, and then it can often come from a, a, a different part of yourself that's trying to communicate something, but it's not speaking English the way I do. So for example, it, you know, it, there's, Looking even at the pattern, for example. So if you have a tendency of restricting your food, that is not the only thing you're restricting in life. That may be what's getting your attention because it can be life-threatening. But but what you'll notice is someone restricting their food might be restricting new experiences. They might be restricting uh, their emotional expression. They might be uh, restricting um, intimacy. They, they, they might be putting themselves on restriction whenever they make a mistake. So you can see this theme of restriction is everywhere. It's just that the food gets our attention. If somebody is um, binging and purging, what you're going to see is a pattern in, in many aspects of their life of taking on, taking in too much, too quickly, more than they can assimilate. So so you might see this where they might meet somebody, become best, best, best friends, and as soon as they there's a quality they don't like, they end the relationship. Or they might sign up for a gazillion classes and then get overwhelmed and drop out of school. Or maybe they'll they'll meet someone fall madly in love and as soon as there's a conflict, they, they say, I can't do this. Or maybe they'll take on a whole bunch of projects and get overwhelmed and say, okay, I'm going to bed. I've had it, 
right? So you see this tendency and this pattern that exists elsewhere. It's not just in the food. And if somebody is binge eating, you're going to see this pattern of scarcity everywhere. It's not that there's not enough food. There's not enough money. There's not enough time. There's not enough affection. There's not enough appreciation. Um, so this theme of not enough or that they're not enough. So when you can move past the actual food itself and start to look at the patterns and connections, what you learn about becoming your authentic self can astound you. And it is multidimensional, emotional, spiritual, Mm -hmm. physical. Mm -hmm. I know when I personally had trouble with food restriction, it was a restriction in other parts of my life. And once Mm -hmm. I began to meet new friends and Mm -hmm. really start to express my creativity, creativity was a huge one for me. So when I started to dance again and really Mm -hmm. pour my time and energy into looking at those other pillars of my life and how I could bring more, you know, love or lightness or abundance into those aspects of my life, it really helped to heal my disordered eating. So creativity was a huge one for me. Yeah, because um, what recovery really is, is living an authentic life, being your authentic self. And so for each one of us, that looks quite differently, but we have to find out what that is. And what I find about um, eating disorder recovery, that the beauty of it is, and some people say, what's the beauty of that, is is that um, it is really a way of uh, helping you find that, find out who you are and what's okay and what's not okay. You have a signal that's going to let you know when you're veering off your path of your authentic self. It's going to, it's going to be what some people would call symptoms. I see them as sig- signals, really. And once you understand how to respond to those signals, for example, if, if let's say you bought a brand new car and you've never had a car before and you're so excited about this car and, and you leave the, the lot and you're driving around your new car and then you start noticing these, these lights keep coming on on the dash and they're really annoying and really distracting. So you go back to the dealer and you go, you know, I love my new car, but ooh, these lights, I, they're, they're just um, distracting me. Can you disconnect them? And the dealer says, well, sure, I'll be, I can do that. But before I do, um, I, I think it's important that you know that if I disconnect this light here, you could run out of fuel and end up in the middle of nowhere stranded. And if I disconnect this light here, you might run out of oil and burn up your engine and then no more new car. Do you still want me to disconnect the lights? Well, yeah, not until you know what they're trying to tell you. Authenticity is such a big one. Authenticity in all parts of our lives and getting back to that, you know, wisdom, that internal wisdom and that heart-centered decisions and thoughts. And some simple ways that I recommend for people to start uncovering maybe their symbolic meaning behind food is with journaling. Is there anything else that you could recommend for listeners? Absolutely. Um, one, you well, I'll give you a metaphor to, for, for what I recommend. So again, we're using superpower, imagination. Imagine you have two tanks and we're going to call them tank A and tank B. Fancy words, right? And tank A is the tank you need uh, for, to fill when you, when you're physically hungry and you fill it with food. Now we live in a world though, that gets this all, 
um, confused. And so what happens is we have to learn, there's a skill we have to learn called introceptive awareness, which is the ability to identify your hunger and satiety signals as they exist as sensations in your body, not as thoughts. So they're actual physical sensations. So imagine you have these two tanks, tank A, tank B, and um, you you first have to learn how to tease the two tanks apart because it seems like there's just one tank. And you do that by developing interoceptive awareness. So, but let's say uh, for, for this conversation, let's imagine that you've, you've discovered this. You know what your hunger and satiety signals are. You know what it feels like when you're hungry. You know what it feels like when you're full. And you're reaching for that pizza and you've checked in to see your signal, not a hunger signal in sight, but you still want to eat that pizza. Well, that means you just tumbled down Alice in Wonderland's rabbit hole and you've landed smack dab in tank B. And in tank B, pizza's not pizza. Food isn't food. What is it? It's a concrete physical symbol of another kind of hunger that you're experiencing and don't even know about. And you might try to either restrict that hunger because you don't know what to do with it because it seems like overwhelming, a bottomless pit. So you might restrict your food or you might binge or eat compulsively in an attempt to fill tank B, but no amount of food will ever fill tank B. So you have to ask yourself then, what is the feeling that I'm trying not to feel? Because we don't eat or restrict for emotional reasons. Um, uh, we do it because we don't want to feel the emotions, right? And so we distract ourselves by doing whatever we, we do with food. So you ask yourself, okay, what's the feeling I'm trying not to feel? And then maybe you do a scan of your day and maybe you're still ticked off at the jerk who cut you off on the highway. Or maybe you're annoyed at something that your girlfriend said. Or maybe you're concerned about um, an upcoming meeting that you're not sure what's going to happen. So you look to see, okay, where's the feeling that I'm trying not to feel? But I'm here to tell you that more often than not, the answer is going to be, mm, I don't know, I feel fine, everything's okay, right? Because often these feelings are hidden. But the good news is this, the food that you're struggling with will tell you. The food is talking to you, but it's talking in code and you have to crack the code. So um, I'll tell your listeners right now how to do that um, and in a, in a really simple way. Now, understand that we're all different. And so this is just a place to get started. And so it goes something like this. Sweet foods usually have to do with either feeling like, there's not enough sweetness in your life or you're not sweet enough. Now think about the way you use sweet, like, oh, she's such a sweetheart or, whoa, that's really sweet or, whoa, sweet. How do you use the word sweet? Um, because it's, that, that has information for you. Crunchy, salty foods are usually connected with unexpressed Anger and frustration, like, arr, 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 you want to bite someone's head off. Uh, warm foods like soups and stews are often associated with a craving for emotional warmth. Um, spicy foods um, have to do, and this is um, either a craving for or a fear of, they have to do with um, a desire for it or fear of excitement, stimulation, and change. And chocolate 
We know that from Valentine's Day, right? That's love and romance and sensuality and sexuality. And so when you can start to look at these foods through a metaphoric, symbolic lens, you're going to start to discover what they're saying to you. It's really, and it really gets to be kind of exciting and a little bit of fun even. It is exciting and that's kind of the perspective you need to have, one of positive intrigue or one of excitement because you're learning and then that can also help to rewire those negative thought patterns or that heaviness behind it and start to, you know, play detective. Yeah, curiosity is your best friend here. And and if any of your listeners want to know more about this, they can just go to lightofthemooncafe.com forward slash TMD for the magic drop. <laughs> and and they can get a PDF with that that explains this decoding. Oh, how good. Awesome. When transforming our negative emotions into motivation and positive energy to heal, uh, it can be very difficult for some people to begin to cultivate that positive energy or that desire to heal. Is there any sort of metaphor or any tips and tricks you can recommend for that? Yeah. In order to do that, you have to drop the judgment. Okay. Nobody ever recovers from hating themselves or, and it's hard because we are taught in our culture that there are good feelings and bad feelings and right feelings and wrong feelings. And it's so not true. We, you have to understand the nature of emotions is really energy in motion and feelings are designed to flow through us. And part of being a human means that you're going to have all kinds of feelings. And so we're told, oh, you have to control your feelings. Well, guess what? You can't. You can't control your feelings anywhere that you can swim up a mountain. Um, but you can control the expression of those feelings. Uh, but the feelings themselves are simply energy that, that's trying to move through you. And when you judge those feelings, then they get stuck inside. And then your very worst fears get realized. So it's like, oh, my God, if I if I express my anger, then I'm going to be an angry person. Or if I cry, then I'm going to be sad forever. And so we're scared of that. And it's a matter of really learning. The, the nature of emotions are like waves in the ocean. They come in. They peak and they pass. They come in, they peak and they pass. And if, you, if you're if you not sure of that, um, think of some of the emotions you had yesterday. Do you still have them right now? Right? So so that's their nature is to flow. So finding a way, and, and you talked about how, how you love your creativity. Finding a creative way to let that energy move through you is really important. Um, learning ways to put those feelings into words that um, can honor your experience as well as the experience of others is super valuable. I mean, to me, that's that's the golden ticket to recovery um, because it's a way of identifying and expressing your feelings in a way that honors yourself and the experience of others. And I call that assertive communication. <laughs> Two practices that I've got a lot of benefit from is writing poetry. So when I 
feel a lot of emotions, I'll write poetry to express those emotions and then also dance with music. So whatever form of dance, and that's really helped me to really feel my emotions because I did recognize that I went through a period where I was suppressing my emotions and then that came out in food. You know, I wanted chocolate and soothing foods like almond butters and fats and they weren't serving me but I needed to be able to recognize my emotions coming up let myself feel them to let them pass like the waves mm-hmm. yeah and and I think that's that's so important that you recognize that right that that's what those foods were about is that that energy was wanting to move through you and the key is not to judge it because if you think there's something wrong with you for being angry or or there's something weak about you because you're feeling scared or sad, that, that judgment will really get in the way. And so um, just examining the feelings with curiosity rather than judgment. Yeah, and it's a slow journey as well. Once you can have that understanding and that awareness, you know, it takes a few times to try to practice it and it might not succeed, but it's like, you know, you keep learning to swim. So you keep trying to really embrace those emotions when they come up and then it it becomes a learned skill. And also, you can't swim without getting in the water. You're not going to learn. And so life is going to make sure that you have all kinds of emotional experiences because that's how you learn. Well, there's something that I want to share uh, with your listeners. And that is that, um, first of all, I've been working in this field for over 35 years. I've seen thousands thousands, I'm not exaggerating, of people totally, completely recover from their struggle with eating. Recovered, period. Done deal. Um, and, and so I know that it's absolutely possible. I know that there's certain essential skills that I've mentioned. Assertive communication is really key for this. But it, it's absolutely, totally possible to completely recover. And, and I think it's important that people understand that because sometimes people get the message that this is going to be something they have to struggle with their whole life. And it's not true. And I know it's not true. Uh, the other thing I want to say is that in my experience, those that have gotten on the recovery journey are those the one the world has been waiting for. Because what comes out of this, what comes out of the the very thing that might have led to the eating disorder in the first place, which is being very emotionally sensitive and highly intuitive, once you learn how to work with that, that's the gift you've been given and the gift you've come to give. And so um, I mean that with every fiber in my being. And, and actually, you're an example of that. Yeah, definitely. I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, my struggle served as a doorway for transformation and I've become such a, a different um, version of myself. I'm still myself, but I've healed, I've grown and full recovery definitely is possible. There, I have heard along the way that, oh, it's not possible, but I, I guarantee you it definitely is. And yeah, you come out of it with so many 
gifts to offer other people, so much wisdom from learning about yourself and moving through all of those challenges. And then, yeah, a new sense of intuition and authenticity. Yes, because recovery isn't just going back to who you were before the eating issues. No, recovery is stepping into a life beyond your wildest dreams. And, and all that those skills that you learn along the, the recovery path, they, they're there for the rest of your life. Um, and so it's really an opportunity to become your very best self. And so, um, for me, it's really exciting. I get to work with people all over the world through the Light of the Moon Cafe where I get to watch this happen. I have a front row seat. Um, and so I totally know that it's possible. Magic, thank you so much for sharing. <laughs> My pleasure. And I'll put all the links to your work and the Eating in the Light of the Moon Cafe in the show notes for anyone that's interested. Thanks for tuning in. I appreciate you so much for being a part of this journey. If this podcast resonates with you, I would love your support, so please share, subscribe, or leave a five-star review. Don't forget, you can find all the detail and links for this episode in the show notes. You can connect with me via Instagram, at Isabel Cornish, or via my website, isabelcornish.life. For more uplifting content, I highly recommend checking out my book, The Why, Healthy Habits for an Epic Life. Thanks for listening, and remember, stay magic.